Hello, welcome to PSR People Speaking Rail. Happy New Year to everyone. Uh, good to see you, Joanna. Did you have a good uh, break here for the holidays? Yeah, I did. Um, yeah, I went home to uh, to West Virginia. Actually, <laughs> my parents live in North Central West Virginia. So, um, uh, you, you know, whenever I, I go out of town. Um, there are two, like, whether it's my parents or my in-laws, I'm sorry, it's like too much information now, but, um, but I know that there's a CX, CSX line, like running kind of nearby where my parents mm -hmm. live. And so I hear, you know, the freight train whistle, I'm like, it's a CSX train that's coming. So, um, <laughs> yeah. that was exciting. Uh, but anyway, how was, how was your, uh, how was your, how were your holidays? Yeah, just, just fine. Stay around here in, in Dallas. I mean, that's what I was thinking when you brought up West Virginia. I'm like, that's a good railroad state there move a lot of coal through there of course um so that's good keep keep tabs on uh, csx uh, so what we have today um maybe a little bit less news than would typically be the case but we're going to talk a little bit about outlook for safety legislation in 2024 which um you know based on reading your article may not come to fruition talk a little bit about you know the red sea situation um talk a little bit about rail cars Gonna hear more about uh, rail cars uh, later this week with Greenbrier reporting, um, and those are kind of the main topics I have we have to talk about uh, today. If anyone's not already signed up for um, the Railroad uh, newsletter, we have a newsletter that goes out every Thursday. You can subscribe to that as well as the other newsletters. Go to FreightWaves.com forward slash subscribe. Scroll all the way down at the bottom to the left is where you're going to find that Rail uh, newsletter. Um, be in your inbox uh, every Thursday. Uh, so be sure to do that if you're not signed up for that already. And with that, want to hit on our first um, you know topic here, which is: Will Congress pass any rail safety bills in 2024? You wrote this up, um, you know, on on New Year's Day, apparently. Um, and so <laughs> read through this uh, this morning, and you know, I wasn't convinced that there was going to be um, Congress was going to pass any rail le legislation. But I think after reading this. I'm more convinced that maybe it's it's not likely. Was that the impression that you got from the the people that you talked to? I get the sense. So it, it, it was interesting, like you know, that the various people I talked to in, in the story. Um, I, I get the sense from the unions. Um, you know, speaking with transportation trades department, and actually also um, Smart TD, uh, which I wasn't able to include because I. Yeah, I talked a little bit later, but um, but you know, I, I get the sense that that there is, I don't want to say an uphill battle, but but that there does need to be work done, um, mainly because be, lots of it because um, it's an election year, um, and and uh, and it wasn't just smart, or it wasn't just transportation and trades department that said it, but also Association of American Railroads, I think, said it that. Um, or someone else did <laughs> that. Um, you know, with with it being an election year, um, you know, you have a lot of uh, you have you know potential legislation moving forward in the first half of the year, but then the second half of the year, um, there's so much attention um, being uh, brought on, uh, you know, to to the um, presidential elections. Actually, now that I think about it, it was. It was the um, the the consultant that that mentioned the election year um, issue, mm -hmm. um, and not AAR. But um, but it was interesting too because you know when I spoke to AAR about it, um, you know they were uh, they were actually fairly cautious in, in their remarks and saying that you know that that uh, that the two um, you know Senate uh, Senate um, senators 
you know, uh, J.D. Vance and um, Jared Brown, you know, they're, they're still very interested in getting um, some sort of legislation moved forward. Right. And so, um, you know, so, so no one's really quite saying that uh, that a safety bill will or rail safety bill will or won't happen. But um, it's it's not, you know, it, it sounds like either way um, you kind of prepare for both scenarios that it could happen and couldn't happen. Um, but also uh, being prepared with the idea that, you know, you really got to <laughs> gotta push if you want something to happen. That's kind of what the impression I got from people. Yeah, I mean, I guess, you know, after that East Palestine derailment, it got to be such a big news story with all the pictures of the smoke um, from the controlled burn that, um, you know, would have thought that there would have been um, some kind of, you know, act of Congress last year. Now that we're into the, the, the election year, you know, you have that shortened window that you describe in the in the article, and it just doesn't seem likely. I mean, aside from Ohio and Pennsylvania, because you know East Palestine is right on the border of Ohio and Pennsylvania, it just doesn't seem like to me it's like the kitchen table issue that people are going to be focused on this year. I mean, it does seem likely that maybe you get some additional rules coming out of the FRA, um, which regulates the railroads on issues of safety. So potentially, you know, more guidance as far as the hot box t detectors, you know, I think, you know, might be, you know, potential that you'll have a, a, a crew size law that requires you to know, have a minimum, you know, two person, you know, tr train crew in, in, in the consist um, and, you know, those things, but it just, to, to, to me, I mean, I would, I would sort of agree with the sort of the premise of the article that it seems unlikely there's going to be, you know, safety legislation. I mean, know those, um, you know, the, the Republican, um, you know, house leaders. So they want They want that report, that final report from the NTSB on East Palestine, exactly what happened there. And because it was such an unusual situation that those uh, wheel bearings heated up to such a degree in such a short number of, of miles, such a, such a, a small number of miles. Um, so they want to figure out exactly what happened. So there, you know, the, any legislation would be to address those specific issues. So those things don't happen again. Um, you know, you talked about, you know, earlier on some of your other articles about how CSX had a derailment that seemed to almost mirror Norfolk Southern in terms of the cause, um, at least as far as we know, I mean, investigation is still taking place, but as, as far as wheel bearings, you know, heating up. So I think that one remains to, 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 to be seen. So we'll continue to, 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 to watch, uh, to watch that. Uh, we also had a, a, a article that was just kind of an infographic on the FreightWaves website on the number of injuries. And I thought this was kind of a funny one uh, to me because this is injuries. So this is reported by the FRA and the Bureau of Labor Statistics. And I, I sort of get the premise that you sort of make the argument that um, railroads are the safest form of, of surface transportation, you know, but some of the, you know, comparing it to some of these industries that have nothing to do with it. And, and this is the, the frequency of injuries per 200,000 employee hours. And, and then we're saying here that the railroads have fewer injuries per 200,000 employee hours than all these other industry, indu 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 industries, including one of the, one of the, the worst is grocery stores. I assume those are, you know, accidents at the, at the meat slicer. Um, but to me, this, this doesn't make a whole lot of sense because it's not the number of injuries. It's the, the severity um, of the injuries. Actually, it was, it was surprised to see air, air transportation, um, you know, up at the, up at the top there. I mean, my understanding was that commercial air travel is the safest way to get anywhere. I mean, some some years there's absolutely no one you know dies in the United States and on a commercial airplane, and those that do, it's just you know heart attack in the wrong place at the wrong time. But but that's 
maybe air transportation includes you know private planes and those things but um you know that was kind of a uh, an infographic that maybe needed a little bit more context in terms of um, the severity of the the injuries. At least that was my perception. Did you have any thoughts on that one? Yeah, I mean, yeah, I think you know having a little bit more context um, w- would be helpful in, in terms of you know what what constitute as a reportable injury, and that's actually something I think that. Um, the railroad companies have argued in terms of not so much injuries, but just like accident data. Like when you're talking about mm-hmm. the increase of accidents, like, is it like a big accident or is it like a little sort of, mm-hmm. um, I would say little accident, but I'm trying to think citation. I, I think that's what it, mm-hmm. what they're talking about. You know, like I think union Pacific, for instance, you know, uh, when they, um, when the federal railroad administration was kind of pointing out like an increase, um, in, in, um, not citations, but you know, just sort of—I uh, can't think of the word right now. It's the new year, but uh, but uh, yeah, it's just like an increase in sort of um, noticeable errors or, or, or whatever. Like you know, Union Pacific sort of says, "Oh well, you know, you don't really know how severe that is." So I guess with this accident, uh, with the injury data, um, it would be interesting to know exactly what um, constitute as an injury so uh, for starters um but actually if i could just make one quick point about the um, the rail safety bill going back to that i you know I, there was a quote that i didn't put in and maybe i probably should have put in but i i wasn't able to get confirmation on it in time um so or not so much confirmation because that's really more of a an opinion quote but it was interesting because um one of the sources uh, someone had spoken to um, had said, uh, you know, we're we're even though you know you have questions about whether a rail safety bill will move forward in 2024, you're also sort of one accident away from from uh, rail safety bill uh, getting you know pushed forward, which sounds kind of um, uh, sounds kind of a little sad. But at the same time, you know, it is it is true. I mean, you know, you know, God forbid if there's another. Um, event like East Palestine, you can be sure that, you know, um, Mm -hmm. uh, there'll be forces that will be trying to move things much more quickly than, than, um, than a year ago, or maybe not more quickly. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Great, great point there. I mean, usually when there is a big safety legislation, it is a result of some big, you know, accident. I mean, it was the the Chatsworth, California that gave rise to the positive train control. It was the Lock Megantic that gave rise to, you know, additional regulations sur- surrounding, you know, tank cars, you know, the head shields, the coils and in- insulation, all those things. Um, and, you know, potentially the East Palestine gives rise to, you know, new rules on, on you know, hotbox detectors, but it remains to be seen. But that's, that's a good point. I mean, that anything could, could happen that, that really is a, another catalyst um, for that. Um, you know, I want to move on to talk about, um, you know, rail cars. So, um, you know, later this week, Greenbrier is going to report earnings. They always were the, sort of the report the first week of, of January. Always when I was a stock analyst, I so had a hard time with that one, clearing my, the cobwebs out of my, my head, um, middle of January. Uh, but um, so there's a good article written by Dick Kloster. Um, it, it's on progressive railroading which, you know, he provides a, um, I should mention who he is, founder of Integrity Rail Partners. He's been around the industry a long time, knows the rail, rail uh, car manufacturing industry well. Uh, so I always read that article um, when it comes out every year. I think it's, a, it's an annual one. And he's saying he expects 41,000 new rail cars to be built. That's down from about 45,000 this year. We don't have the final numbers on that. Uh, th- those will come uh, in, a, in a week or two. 
And um, the preliminary forecast for 2025 is 43,464. So, so let's go say go from 45,000 to 41 to 43,000. Those strike me as expectations that are not wildly bearish or bullish. Um, you sort of think of replacement demand as, you know, let's in rough numbers, 1.6 million rail cars. It lasts about 40 years on average. You know, tank cars, not as long as some other types of freight cars. But that gets you about 40,000. And then there's some, you know, obsolescence or moving to the higher capacity cars. So 40 to 45,000 roughly is, 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 is kind of the average. But then he goes into some detail about some of the specific car types, um, saying, you know, box cars, order rates fallen, but retirements are up and ca- capacity is still constrained on box cars. That's been a, a shrinking component of the, the rail car fleet. You know, covered hopper still has a large backlog of 30,000 cars. Some of those are multi-year orders, you know, retirements there are increasing. So covered hoppers primarily used to, to move grain and, and other things that, you know, can't be, I mean, plastic pellets and other, you know, uh, types of freight that can't, be, you know, get wet from the, from the rain. And then tank cars, um, you know, he's expecting deliveries of 10,500 in 2024, up 20% from the three-year average. Um, and they are saying, so he supports, that he says, you know, some of those uh, data there, supports higher lease rates, um, replacement demand for flammable ca- cars, some age profile in several segments. So almost looking at that, I mean, it makes me kind of bullish. Um, I just said his comments on the tank cars, which, you know, they think believe the, the freight car manufacturers are in a higher margin on the tank cars, you know, makes you a little bit more bullish, I would say, on Trinity's year, maybe on Greenbrier's year. And they both manufacture tank cars, and you know, GATX, which leases a lot of the a lot of the tank cars. So um, anything else you're expecting from Greenbrier when, when they report um, on Friday? Yeah. Um, I don't think so. It's, I, you know, from, from what I remember, uh, you know, from the, from the last series of, of earnings calls, um, uh, you know, of course they're all going to say that, you know, that, you know, they're going to emphasize the positive, but it didn't, it didn't seem, um, that that any of them um you know were 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 anticipating um you know significant you know any any sort of like market downturns i guess in the sense of like you know and being able you know i i think there was um a sense of um uh, you know that that things will will only get better. Uh, of course, I know. You know, like I said, it's it's usually you know, put a positive spin on the, the on those earnings calls. But you know, but there wasn't any. Um, there wasn't really so much of a uh, comment. You know, sort of a cautionary, like okay, well, measured. Mm-hmm. I guess you know sometimes when 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 executive speak like sometimes they'll they'll put a positive spin but then there's there's something else that's kind of a measure like well you know there are you know, with these caveats but I, I didn't really get a sense of, of caveats in the, you know in the last go around so um of course you know greenbrier as uh you know they, they report early because they their, their fiscal year runs a little differently um so i think this is like the, the second quarter um of 2024 uh the earnings that will be releasing this friday but uh, but yeah, it's it'll probably. I, I don't really. It, 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 I think you know what um, you know. DeCloster said it was probably um, will probably be in line with um, you know what what we could hear from Greenbrier and the others um, in the next coming weeks. 
Yeah, it'll be interesting to see if they provide their own forecast. I mean, sometimes they'll, they'll put it up at like 50,000 instead of some, something in the 40s. Um, maybe my main question would be, I mean, the, the rail uh, productivity seems to have improved with higher service levels. I mean, in theory, that reduces the demand for rail cars because the ones in the field are being more used more pr- pr- productively. So they'll probably get a question uh, on that. Um, I want to move on to uh, the Red Sea situation. We have lots of articles up on FreightWaves.com about the Red Sea. This one written by Greg Miller um, just after uh, Christmas. But, you know, tr- Greg, you know, t- putting out a lot of good articles on this that really help you keep you know, up to speed. And you know, what's interesting uh, is some of these different shipping lines behaving differently. Um, you know, it was Maersk and CMA CGM headed back to the Red Sea. You know, this was after this Operation Prosperity Guardian, where you have the U.S. military and its allies, you know, protecting these these vessels um, to avoid this one to two week additional transit time around the Cape of Good Hope. But then you have other uh, lines, MSC and, and Hapag Lloyd, continuing to um, you know m- you know avoid that region um, near Yemen, where the, the vessels are being attacked by by rebels and. Uh, what's kind of interesting, you know, too, is that these these annual you know contracts largely renew May first, and this could impact those negotiations. Um, you know, my colleague uh, or our, our colleague Henry Byers did a, a webinar, um, you know, last week on the impact of uh, this, and that we've seen in, in sonar. And one of the interesting things was that the volume of um, is, that, is that the volumes of volume of bookings from China to Germany. This is primarily a you know, China to Europe route that those that those booking volumes were up, and then this uh, shows the increase in spot rates from China to North Europe. So from the lows, this has been a dramatic increase. It's gone from about a thousand dollars a container to sixteen hundred, and you think, wow, that's a sixty percent you know increase. That's really been tremendous. You do have to sort of put that in the context that back you know a year ago, it's 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 less than it was a year ago, even with this whole Red Sea situation, and way less than it was during the pandemic. If you, if you move, scroll out further, it was you know ten to fifteen thousand. So it's um, it's still like ten, you know, a little over ten percent of of its absolute you know high during the d- during the pandemic. So it is it is up a lot, up from a very low uh, level. And I guess the way that you would interpret that. I mean, another interesting thing is you look at some of the stock prices, those have bounced, um, bounced from a high level. If you want to look at Zim, uh, you know, stock chart on, on, on Zim, I think, which that's, you know, bounced from its low, you know, that's been almost, almost a double from its, its absolute low. If you could trade, could trade that close to $6. Now it's, a, it's, a, it's at 11.05 up about 12% for the day. That is down from, you know, $24 in, in, in February or March. So the idea is that longer routes takes capacity out of the, the industry that supports rates. So it's been good for the stocks. I mean, those are, are stocks where there's really a lot of speculation because they move so much. Um, but I guess the way this would potentially mean for, for, for intermodal would be is what it, it potentially encourage more shipments from China the U.S. West Coast rather than China to the U.S. East Coast. One of the things that, that Greg Miller talked about was that there were some um, ships that would have gone from China to the U.S. Um, East Coast through the Panama Canal, that all water route through the Panama Canal, but because of the drought in the Panama Canal, that some of those had been rerouted from China through the Suez and the Red Sea. And, and so that was... was 
temporarily, you know, creating more demand for for use of the Red Sea. So potentially, all these situations could create more demand for imports into the West Coast. Both of those, uh, both the Panama Canal situation and the Red Sea situation, potentially leading to more intermodal. You think of of the containers hit the West Coast, of the U.S. sixty five to seventy percent of those go intermodal versus the ones that go hit the East Coast ports, maybe only 20 or 25% of those go intermodal because those are just closer to the population centers. So it's hard to make, um, you know, look at the, any you know data right now because it's a slow week during the holidays and, and say that that's created a balance in intermodal volume and there's, you know, time delay from there with accounting for the vessels, but, you know, potentially it could be good for first quarter intermodal volumes. Um, do you have any other any thoughts on, on this situation? Yeah, well, you know, I, I think, um, you know, for sure, you know, I, I think, you know, keeping uh, keeping track of the, the Freight Waves website and, um, you know, what Greg Miller writes and, and other, um, you know, and others who might be um, looking at the issue, you know, that's that's certainly something to to keep in, you know, to keep in mind, um, you know, because even, you know, we, we had a meeting this morning and, you know, Greg was talking about just how, you know, the situation is uh, evolving right now. And, and Maersk is actually saying, well, actually, we're not going to do, you know, go through the Red Sea after all. So it's just, it, it just, there's so much, uh, the, there's so much that happens um, <laughs> every day and even like within the day. So, you know, it's it's good to sort of keep track of, of um, you know, what, what's going on with, with, uh, with what we're producing on our website. Yeah, so we'll continue to do that. And then, um, you know, what else are you working on to, to write it for the site? Yeah, yeah. So um, so hopefully this week um, I, I will be publishing the, um, the, the issues uh, that, uh, that rail stakeholders are looking at um, in 2024. Uh, it's uh, sort of, what do you call it, a spoiler alert. It's, it's very similar to what they're seeing, what they saw in 2023. <laughs> so um, it's also a very long story. There are like seven articles in one big story. So if you have insomnia and okay. uh, you need, you know, <laughs> you can go up, you know, pull up the story and, um, you know, have some bedtime reading and uh, I will put you to sleep. I don't know if it's a good or bad thing. But, um, but yeah, so in other words, it's actually uh, lots of information in, in that um, I was able to speak with um, several um, people, you know, within the rail sphere, but also the, you know, shippers and unions as well. So it's, I feel like it's a, it's a neat sort of comprehensive uh, look into, you know, the various issues into 2024. And I'm sure, I, I'm sure there, there are others out there too that I, I might've missed, but, um, but, you know, yeah. that's for starters, uh, you know, that's, uh, you know, you can check out that, that, uh, um, that story and what else. Oh, and I think there's also um, just kind of, you know, I spoke uh, recently with someone, um, you know, sort of looking at, uh, sort of their thoughts on the intermodal market um, in 2024. I, I think, you know, a lot of people um, so far are, and Mike, you might, you probably have more thoughts about this than I do, but like, uh, you know, there's still some pressure on, on, you know, rail intermodal in 2024, at least the first half and, you know, the second half might, you know, some see, see some, some sort of improvement, but, um, uh, but just, just, you know, some, some thoughts on, uh, just, you know, how, how things might look in the first half of the year. So those are the two things I'm, I'm working on right now. And then of course, Greenbrier has its earnings and then, and then we have the, um, the, uh, fourth quarter results in mid late January. And of course, I, is that, I'm trying to think of that's when the rail comp when the railroads give their 2024 outlook or is that April? I'm not sure since it's fourth quarter, but, um, yeah, but I, th yeah, I think I, when they report the fourth yeah. quarter, yeah, it's, they, Start reporting yeah. right after 
Martin Luther King's birthday, and um, usually we'll, mm-hmm. we'll do their outlook for you know the 2024 along with their capital envelope and all those things. So it's a good um, time to listen to those conference calls, even though that's you know, can be a tedious uh, you know task. So everyone, um, you know, go check that check out that article, and hope everyone has a good day.